0: We go. Thank you for joining us. Dominion Sonship Live coming to you. It's just the, the neatest moment, really. It's a thrill and a great, and a great, a great pause at the same time. Right before the camera goes on, my son would ask me, Are you ready? And I'm like, uh Yeah, I am ready. Glory be to God. Uh, my, my dad, I'm born 1971. So, uh, his terminology, if someone asks him, is he ready? He'll give his ear of birth. It's, he's been ready since he was born. So I guess since 1971, I've been ready. I've been ready. Huh? I just, I just had that flashback of my dad's response of, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Glory be to God. I've been ready for 50 years. Isn't that amazing? God's faithfulness. And I've been thinking about, as I have been meditating this message, especially last week, just like Jesus, but obviously this has been something of my internal meditations for a long time. When I got born again, I really had a, a, um, a, a mighty revelation of the love of God. I, I felt his love in a very tangible way. I, uh, Some people use the word encounter. I've been usually hesitant to use that word because I really don't know what that means because I was living in the presence of God. But, but the love of God really, if I can use that term, encountered me. The love of God was really made manifest to me. Maybe that's a better way to say it. The, the love of God was really demonstrated to me by the Holy Spirit. And, um, of course, some of you would know how I got born again was through a night vision in my, pretty much my last university in the States. And, um, I was a heathen of heathens. And then I have this night encounter of Jesus. It was a night vision. It was a vision of Jesus on the cross dying. And I knew without any words having spoken to me, I knew that he died for me and that he is the son of God. I knew it. And what that also communicated to me is he loves me. That love of God is really how I became born again through this divine love that he so loved the world and Desi and you and all of us that he died. He died a, a brutal death naked on the cross stretched out for all to see to demonstrate. The unashamedness he has of you and me, that you and I were worth. And that's why in, in Hebrews he says, despise the shame of that cross. I just opened, there we go. Hebrews Hebrews 12, right, about Jesus, that he's the author and the finisher of our faith, that we are running now this race of faith before great cloud of witnesses that we're looking unto Jesus. We're looking unto the One that has called us. We're looking unto the One that we're being conformed to because as we're beholding Him, we're being conformed to His image. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross for you and me. And I meditate because I actually saw it in a night vision. He endured the cross. Although I did not see the pain, I just saw his love towards me. I just saw his love towards me. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Don't let that get too old in you. Don't let that thing, this reality, get too old. But you think you know it all now. Don't ever take for granted that he did indeed endure the cross for you. Despising the shame because he loved us so. And so, as I have been—I'm not very sure how I went there—but right, the love of God. I—I I always had an awareness, and at times it was so intense. Oh. I was I, I, I almost like okay god that's just enough. Okay, can you just move on over to someone else? Okay, just just enough. That's just too much love now. Just too much. Too much. It, 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 the intensity of his love was very palpable to me. And in those first few years, uh, really until I got married, uh the span of I don't know maybe 7 years or Around that time of when I got born again to before I got married, those seven years were really transition years of studying and, and work and, um, and a lot of moving internationally as well and from city to city. So I never really locked into a local church. It just was, I was, uh, together with you have to keep in mind that I, I got born again in the, in my early twenties. So I didn't have the culture of church. I, I've never had been to a church, maybe, maybe, maybe with some friends and a Christmas, a Catholic Christmas service uh, in the beach house. I remember going, visiting a friend and a Christmas Eve candlelight service. I think I I, I went to one, not understanding anything. And, um, and so I I was not church. I didn't have a tradition of church in me. And so, um, I, I just never really Connected with a local church, and part of it is because I moved around and But when we got born sorry, when I got married and at that moment, I was more settled, living in Toronto and Ontario and um we of course started attending a church as a family, and that was very important to us. The local church is very important and um and then we moved from Toronto and came to the east coast nova scotia and uh, and so I never, because of this experience of moving a lot, I never became indoctrinated, so to say, with certain traditions and... um I always felt the pleasure of God. I always felt the love of God. And I never really struggled with what you'd say condemnation until I started really attending church on a regular basis. Now that's not to discredit the local church. It's just sometimes we pick up thoughts uh and maybe it's from obviously from our own carnal ways as well and we we feel like we have to start now measuring up whether it is um with someone else, or there is this perception to measure up. And so if you do not do certain things in a particular structure, then you're not measuring up. And, and at some moment, and I think I shared a little bit of my, a, a little story of mine from 1st Corinthians 13, kind of being in a company of, of believers and really uh, wanting to grow in the Lord. I believe that was an authentic desire that we had and uh, realizing that we're falling short on the love chapter, first Corinthians 13. And because of it, we started doing the confessions and I, I shared my little struggle until the Lord apprehended me. All that to say is that this reality of being conformed to his image has been very big in my own understanding. Um, I, I always had a sense that his love has made me perfect in his sight. I always had a sense that even in my biggest mistakes and, um, uh, frailties of my outer man that we call weaknesses, I, I, I was always covered by the love of God, that I always, I was always being conformed to his love expression, and that yes, growth is required. And that looked like an yielding to the Holy Spirit. So as long as I yielded to the Holy Spirit, I knew that transformation would happen. But it was when I took matters in my own hands, and I tried to fix the moment, then I was resorting to my flesh. And we know when we sow in the flesh, we'll rip corruption out of it. So, but the more I've been Teaching this message of transformation, the unveiling of the sons of God in this hour, the more I see, even in my own self, how uh, certain areas were a little bit cloudy. And and from God's moment that, as I meditate the Word of God, we are one with Him. That there's truly no separation because of our new birth. There's no separation between us, you and me in the body of Christ and our God. And I believe it was last week's recap of the week or the week prior. My son said, if you want to encourage yourself, read the latter part of chapter eight, um, in uh, Romans eight here that we, we, we have been for a couple of weeks I believe that there's now no more separation. And I think he read some of the verses especially. Let's go if we go to thirty-four. Romans eight, thirty-four. Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died? And furthermore is also risen, who is even Who is even Christ, the risen one, who is even at the right hand of God. Now keep in mind what Ephesians and Colossians tells us about this reality, that where he is, we are. Part of this glorious kingdom of the Son of His love. Who is even at the right hand of God, Who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted the sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. The NLT, I believe, says we have overwhelming victory. Through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. Through Him. Why through Him? Because we are now in Him. We are now in Him. We are now in Him. We are one with Him. That's why nothing can separate us that is found in the world. Nothing can separate us of this worldly atmosphere. It cannot touch the things of God. There's no separation, really. The biggest separation is in the carnal mind that is always the way of falling short, which we call condemnation. But now he says, Who will condemn you if Jesus has died for you? If he took on your sin, the only reason why you are condemned in the natural because you found guilty. Sin, sinner broken the law, fallen short of an expectation, defiance, disobedience, guilty. But now in Christ, he was on that cross, he became sin. And without a revelation, and that's why I just did a Dominion talk. I'll encourage you to watch it. The title is uh, something glorious, I'm sure. Yeah, it will come to me. But I just did a Dominion talk, and I talked about this very theme. This very theme that (laughs) we are now in Him. So I have to see my title just because I just have to. Oh, my dear. The born-again reality. There you go. The born-again reality. That's what I called it. The born-again reality. And in this reality is really the core of it is this oneness we have. That we endow bone of his bone and of his flesh, of his blood, of his name. And in that conversation I did, really I refer to Romans chapter 6. If we just flip over to Romans chapter 6, that our first identification, our first identification that we are now in verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? The number one identification is this, this baptism unto his death. And last week we finished with Philippians chapter 3. Reading Paul's heart desire and whom he wanted to be identified with and to know in in chapter 3, verse 10, Philippians, Paul says, I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Being conformed, being made one with His death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, this identification is key. Because that is where you realize that on the cross where He died, He became sin for you. So you don't have to struggle with the weight of sin The dominion of sin and the the impossibility of living life perfect before a holy God. He took on that burden through the cross. Colossians said he broke and destroyed all the handwriting that was written against to accuse you. He brought it down, he nullified it. There is no more accusation towards you. You're a good mom, you're a bad mom, you're a bad dad, you're a good dad, you're so. So you're not so and so you are you are not gonna make it. Oh my he became sin for you. We are being conformed to his death so that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt. That's why my son says, Are you ready? Ah, the Christ in me is ready, he's ever alive. And he's given me a natural breath in 1971. But when I became born again, I took on, I took on his life. I took on his image. I took on his resemblance. I became part of him. In him I am now. There is no more separation between destiny and Jesus. That's the biggest struggle in the mind of a believer today. Lack of revelation of being one, one bearing his image. And so the title I, I'm going to give today, uh, made to bear the image of Jesus. We are made to bear. And that's why the devil has twisted so much in the human perception of identity, of recognition, of acknowledgement of oneself. Lest we be unveiled to the truth that I am now one with my heavenly Father and I am through Christ Jesus made to bear the image of my Father because he bears the very image, the very nature of God, my Jesus. And I'm now being conformed to my Jesus. Passion. I've seen so many struggle in this area, and I have gone through my own moments where I catch myself in the tradition of men, where I've caught myself in, in dealing with religious thoughts that bring about condemnation. And I love the local church. I love the local church but sometimes we catch ourselves making little doctrines and, and, and wanting to please someone or, or whatever. Like we just, we we go through this internal process and in that moment we lose sight that we are, we we are the very reflection of Jesus. In the spirit, we are a light. And that's why nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He became sin that now when I believe this work and demonstration of power divine and love and love made living to me, I can have the boldness to know that by faith I am justified before my Father and I made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 3 and 4 talks a lot about that. In Romans 3, if we go to verse 21, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, apart from you got to do this, you don't have to do this, is revealed plain, wide open to the sight. In Christ, you can see it made plain being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But look at verse 24. There is a comer, and then he continues by clarifying that though many and all had fallen short of the glory of God, but now all these many have been justified freely by His grace. Justified freely by his grace. This is not my righteousness. I've heard people come to this point. No, there's none righteous, none one. Oh my, that's wrong. Christ is the righteous one, and in his righteousness, I am made right. I feel a war because this is where. The, the 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 weaknesses have been within the body of Christ. A lack of revelation of this right standing that we are in the very stature of God. Because of what He did for us, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Take note, this redemption, this salvation is not of yourself. It is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, by His blood through faith. If you do not believe you're made righteous through the blood of Christ today, then there is an issue with your believer. You do not trust that the blood is sufficient for you. By his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate to demonstrate right now, at the present time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Who has justified me? Not me. He, my heavenly Father, my Holy God, has justified me. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. Isn't that freedom? Not to struggle. I messed up again. Oh, again, again. I must be a, a sinner that's bound to maybe even go to a hell. And we grope for that. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And yes, there are moments. Yes, we catch ourselves in trespass. And we do ask for his forgiveness. We repent. But we get up from there. And once we've received that cleansing flow of the blood of Christ, aha, aha, I'm right. I'm right before him on the basis of the blood of Jesus. If we continue in verse 27, where is boasting then? Is it excluded by what law of works? No, by the law of faith. There's a law of faith that's working right now. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 writes about that, verse 2, I believe. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Say what? Therefore, we conclude that man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And look at this verse five and six in chapter four. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. What? His faith is accounted for righteousness. Because I believe just like Father Abraham believed in his faith was counted, accounted for righteousness. Same as us in verse 6, just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. This is what David wrote. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That's what makes me blessed. I am forgiven. And whose sins are covered. It's obliterated in Christ. No more remembrance of it. It's gone. As far as what? The East is from the West. Gone forever. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. But since Galatia, uh, Colossians 2 has been coming, I'm going to go to Colossians 2. I'm totally, I've got a. yeah, it's okay. We follow the lead of the Holy Ghost. That's where the liberty is at. The liberty that Christ has set us free. What has Jesus done in, in chapter two of Colossians, verse 13, we're going towards 14, really. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, there was nothing good and there is still nothing good in your flesh. Your flesh counts for nothing. He has made alive together with him. He has made me alive together with him, having what? Forgiven you all trespasses. He has forgiven you, all trespasses, having wiped out, wiped out gone for good, the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way. He says, You free body, run now, run your course. Nothing is holding you back, no condemnation, no accusation. I've moved it out of the way, Jesus says. He took it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, the power of the cross. And that's why Paul says to the Corinthians, I desire to know nothing else but Christ and Him crucified. So he may attain to the resurrection from the dead. To live this glorious life of liberty divine. A righteousness, Paul says, that is not his own. But a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. Not the religious structure of do, don't do. God is not pleased if you do this. God is very pleased if you do That's what God says. You know what God says? What pleases him is faith. Faith. And that's what reckons you righteous. Faith. And it seems the last thing most people caught in a religious system think about is their faith. They live just like the world. We catch ourselves thinking like the world, living like the world. And then we feel condemned. I wonder why. <laughs> wonder why because we're knowing ourselves after the flesh, after the man that we're to reckon dead, that we're to identify with the death of Jesus so we can walk in the newness of our life. And so then, let's see, we finish here. I get stirred up. Having wiped out the handwriting, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. And you know, in this portion of scripture, what's most read is verse fifteen. And we go rah rah yeah yeah yeah, devil is disarmed yeah yeah yeah. Without the revelation of these verse two verses thirteen and fourteen. Although the devil is disarmed, he can play havoc on our mind through condemnation. If we do not recognize ourselves after the Christ nature, the righteous nature of Christ in me, now no longer desi, but Christ in me, the hope of glory, then although Satan is fully disarmed under my feet, He'll twist things and deceive and bring to remembrance shortcomings. And if you are mesmerized by that lie of his, that's where the trouble is at. It veers you off course. Which course? The righteous path that we walk for his name's sake. That's why identification is very important. Let's go. I read uh Romans 8 a lot, um, verse 29. I looked at it in the Greek. So let's read that verse, and then we're gonna go to First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians, I touched in my little conversation I just did, the born-again reality. But let's go to Romans eight, twenty-nine again. And that's another moment I saw here, you know, how we have majored on some verses that really they have to be placed in context of the other verses. So we've always, always spoke about Romans 8, 28 you know, all things working together for our good. To those that 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 are called the conscious purpose, to those that love the Lord, right? But take note of the context of that is really right before that is the lead of the Holy Spirit. It's the maturity of the sons of God. It is this intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit that is lining us up with the perfect will of God. And then right after verse twenty-eight is what verse twenty-nine that we conform to His image and likeness. Of course, everything would work out just fine when you submit to the Christ nature. But in your flesh, I can tell you, buddy, you suffer a lot of shipwrecks. And that's what Romans 8, 5, and 6, we read last week, to be carnly to be minded, although you're born again, if you want to be carnly minded, it is what? To your death. But to be spiritually minded, we read, is what? Life and peace. So Romans 8, 28 is in the context of the chapter of Romans 8 as a whole. And verse 29 is really key. For whom he foreknew, I'm I'm a a bit saucy today. I'm not sure if I'm talking to myself. I I might be talking to myself here. For whom he foreknew, he also, because you see, in our flesh, we always want to cop out of this death of Christ recognition. Surely there's one good thing in my net. Surely there's one good thing I can, I can bank on. No, nothing. Nothing. Only in Christ is there a benefit. Only the life of the Spirit is profit to you. And so let's read for 28, 29, sorry, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so now let's go to first Corinthians 15 about the first Adam and the second Adam, verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, became alive. The last Adam, who is Jesus, became what? A step further, a life-giving spirit. Not just alive, but now a giver of life. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth. First, we were natural, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven, the supernatural. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, who is Jesus, so also are those who are heavenly, So also those that are born from above. So also those that are citizens of heaven. Who are those? It's us. So are we just as he is right now? We recognize ourselves after the heavenly man. After not the living being, Adam, but after the life-giving spirit, Christ. Because who lives in me now? It's the life-giver, Jesus, So you and I in Christ can give out only one thing, and it's not doom and gloom and germs and death, but in Christ we can only give out a life. And that's why the, the, the believer shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The only thing in Christ we can transmit, if I know myself after the Christ man and I mature in the reality, of the love of God love compels me and I give out life divine. I'm not afraid. Only life, only life in Christ. He died the death so you don't have to die. And, and Hebrews says that we'll never even taste death because he tasted it for all of us. Why would he fear death? Let's go back here. 49. And as we have bore the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And some translations say, let us now bear the image of the heavenly man. Well, yeah, because we're being conformed from glory to glory. Colossians, actually, Paul, the Corinthians says, as we're beholding him in an open mirror, we're being unveiled, right? That the veil is removed when we turn to Christ. And in that unveiling, we're being transformed even by the Spirit from glory to glory. We are reflecting the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The resurrected Savior. Who are you? You're of Christ now. Because there's an issue if you're not of Christ. Then really you can't inherit the kingdom of God. You can't walk in the kingdom of God as a mere man. So that's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And now that we are born again, we have to know ourselves through this new birth. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, flesh and blood, you're no longer just mere flesh and blood. Because if you are, then here you've got an issue with this verse. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. In your flesh, there's only corruption. In this world, there is corruption. But you're not of this world anymore. You are a spirit man. You are born of the Spirit. And in the Spirit, you're brand new creation. Brand new creation. And so I wanted to read this verse In the Greek, First Corinthians 15, verse 49. And just as we have born, that word born is to carry, to wear, to bear constantly. So as we have wore constantly this man of flesh, just as we have born the likeness of the earthly man, And the earthly man is uh, one made of earth, dusty or dirty. So if you feel dusty, kind of grainy sometimes in your temperament, or dirty, you know you're recognizing yourself after the earthly man. So what do we do at that moment? Change the focus. Change the focus. If you feel inadequate, kind of grainy towards someone else. Change the focus. So also shall we bear, again the same word, to carry, to wear. To bear constantly. To wear as clothing or a constant accompaniment, accompaniment, to, or, or wears clothing or a constant accompaniment. Yeah. That's why the word says that we're to put on Christ, like a garment, And or put on. The Greek word is or put on like a garment. We're to wear him. We shall bear the likeness, that word likeness is image stature, profile, representation, resemblance of the heavenly man. And that's the word that um, we read in Romans 8 regarding that we're being conformed to his likeness, we conform to his image. The same word, it's the Greek 1504 that Paul uses again here that we are now to bear the image of the heavenly man. We are made to fully represent him. In the Spirit, we are a new creation. In the Spirit, we are of God. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty. Now this I say, this is so important. I've actually been able to jerk myself out of the flesh reading this verse. Whenever I find myself a little dirty, a little grainy-like, I know I'm in the flesh. What do I do? I refocus by coming to this verse. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God is found where? In the Holy Spirit, in His righteousness, peace, and joy. And so your revelation of righteousness, what we just spoke of earlier, it's of the Spirit. It is to those that are spiritually minded. And it is really your escape out of the corruption and inadequacy that is found in the world. So if I'm struggling in my flesh, I know I have to go back in my righteous mindset of Christ. And so I remind myself, that is found in the kingdom of God. And that's where I am now. And I better snap out of the earthly moment of recognition, but to acknowledge myself after the Christ, man. Because what does Philemon say? The, the communication of the, our faith looks like what? Philemon 1. Let's find it in Philemon 1. Verse 4. Let's start verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith, the communication of your faith may become effective. How does faith become effective? Keeping in mind faith is what pleases God that our righteousness is based on this divine this faith of the Son of God in us. How do we activate this righteousness mindset? By acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Not acknowledging how you messed up again. Oh I'm so bad I'm so bad no you're in the flesh and blood moment that cannot inherit the righteousness, peace and joy that's found in the Holy Ghost and so you have a frown on your face most of the day or a real frustration on your mind but we are to acknowledge Every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus, take note, it is you in him. And so really you're acknowledging his nature in you. You're acknowledging his love in you towards another. Every good thing, (laughs) every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. How beautiful. How beautiful. And that's what happens when we acknowledge every good thing that we have in us, in Christ Jesus. We can be a refreshment to another. That is glorious. And we are done for this day. Amen. Thank you again.